Have you ever wondered why it's difficult to give your attention, energy, and take action on what matters the most to you? Or to speak up with clarity from the best part of yourself? If that's you, then you're in the right place. The follow-through formula is dedicated to providing daily inspiration for you to follow through on the real you. Welcome back to the Follow Through Formula podcast. This is Rick Lewis. We are in episode six of Rick Lewis flying by the absolute seat of his pants and figuring this thing out as he goes. And as if I'm not giving myself enough curveballs to deal with, I decided today I wanted to interview a someone who's actually a very good friend of mine, but actually also very knowledgeable in the human dynamics of growth. This is a friend of mine. His name is John Souza. He's a doctor. Um, He's a certified marriage and family therapist. And he's, he's, you know, he's a doctor with all those initials after his name so he's got all these you know this long string of credentials of which I don't have any but you'll you'll you can you'll be able to know why when you hear him talk but anyway see I'm embarrassing him just to see if I can <laughs> I'm speechless I'm trying to throw him off so that he'll be as thrown off as I am doing these podcasts so I just sprang this on him we were in the middle of just a a social call that we regularly have together. And I said, hold on a second. I'm going to start recording this because I want to interview you for the podcast. And just so you all know, the way I'm doing this, um, people who do lots of content, either YouTube or podcasts, they do this thing called batching. And batching is when you sit down and you like you knock out four or five episodes so you get a little ahead and then you just queue them up and you let them run. I am not batching. I am recording the day of for each podcast and then posting it live that day. And the reason I'm doing that and I think I feel like this is important to the integrity of this 21 consecutive podcast commitment because we're talking about follow through. It's a whole different thing. If I have to manage my energy and my attention to be able to offer something of value every single day and then post it the day of, that's a whole different experience for me. And it replicates what it is I want to support you with, which is whatever your goal is, whatever it is you is most important to you, you want to move towards the aim with the follow through formula is every day you are moving that goal forward. And that requires some skills and competencies around attention energy management, mind management, uh, physical stamina, all of these things are a part of being able to do that. So I've got John sitting here listening to me gab away. And so now now I'm turning to John. And um, John, first, welcome to my podcast. This surprise I'm, I'm laying on you right now. <laughs> this is awesome. Thank you so much, Rick, for the invitation. <laughs> My yeah. pleasure. 
Um, so here's my question for you. And I was thinking this this morning because you and I had a conversation maybe a week ago or so, maybe a couple weeks ago. And we were both, we're both in the middle of this big move we're making. I'm moving from being a traveling speaker and entertainer to an online e-commerce course creator, writer, uh, coach. You are pivoting. Well, let me, you'd say in your words what your pivot's about. Let's hear from you. Well, I, I think my, my pivot is moving from being uh, a licensed doctor of marriage and family therapy who uh, for the past 15 years has been practicing uh, as a clinician and uh, teaching and supervising that I'm now moving into actually my a previous career, my first career, if you will, which is being a musician. Um, and I, I'm not sure if the two will cross. I suspect at some point they will, because I'm not going to stop being a therapist, but I, I have to give my musician self uh, some, some validity and some outlet that will sustain me uh, not only spiritually and emotionally, but you know, financially too. So, so I'm diversifying. Right. So you're doing what most people would be up against if they decided to make a big life change, which is you have a current gig, you got a job that you need to keep doing and you're having to develop something new at the same time. And so that's a big load. And you mentioned to me something that just rocked me because it's not something that's really on my radar. What you mentioned is that in the process of trying to ramp up your new thing, you noticed that you could lose track of your empathic nature, your empathic self. So you have a family, you've got your wife and your daughter. And what I've been struggling with is there's this energy, a kind of very male energy that can be very useful to go after something. Say like, this is what I want and I'm going to, I'm going to take some risks. I'm going to move forward. I'm going to really put my energy and my focus behind this. And how do you do that? And at the same time, maintain the sense of connection to other people, whether it's, you know, family, if you have immediate family, but even if you're living alone to friends or um, a, a social network or, or something like that. So talk to me about how, how do we juggle these two things at the same time? Because I find it quite challenging. Absolutely. As do I. Um, and I, I just want to offer that you know, this idea of it being a male energy, certainly I think that's, it, that has been socialized and there might be due to testosterone more of that aggressiveness, if you will, in, in the male half of the species. But it is definitely present in women as well. Um, so I want to be careful about too many generalizations there. I would say if there's one thing that I found to be true, uh, for example, my wife 
is equally, if not more assertive and maybe even aggressive at times with her single, singular focus, but she's just better able to, to balance and come out of it, hmm. right? So I'll get lost in it and I, I will really struggle to, to detach from that singular focus and get to like making dinner or tending to my daughter's homework. Whereas my wife, she, either because of genetics or socialization or the, or the two together, it, it can go into uh, her place of focus, um, get a lot of work done, and then still be aware of everything else that's going on. And that phenomenon actually is supported by brain structure. There's a part of the brain that is responsible for uh, diffuse awareness. And it tends to be uh, uh, smaller in men than in women. Hmm. So women tend to have greater diffuse awareness, meaning that they're aware of what's going on around them uh, it, kind of taking it all in at once. So women on, on average tend to be better at this than men. So I call this, uh, you know, in men, it could be considered like a disorder, a diffuse awareness disorder, or if you take the acronym dad. Oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's deadly. All right. So dad, so built right into dad is this automatic, um, diffuse awareness disorder <laughs> but that so fits my experience it's it's painful to hear but it's <laughs> it so fits my experience of coming out of a day of work and it takes me it could take me an hour or two to feel like oh okay i'm actually with my family now because i'm so i've been I don't, it's like, that's a groove I'm in. It's a way of thinking. And I'm still back there thinking about, oh, did I, you know, did I, did I load the podcast properly? And did I check this? And did I check that? Yeah. Women tend to have more connections between the hemispheres in the corpus callosum, the part of the brain that, that connects both hemispheres. So they are on average better able to have this balance, this brain balance. So what's the, uh, any solutions to this? Yeah, I, I don't know what the answer is. I'll say an answer that I've employed uh, is learning to reduce the number of decisions that I have to make in a given day, right? Reducing that decision fatigue and something that you talk about one of your games for confidence, uh, you know, minimizing the amount of time you spend on decision-making, limiting it to 15 seconds. Like I can't tell you how many times we've been using that in my household. Like <laughs> instead of the endless deliberation that just fatigues us, we recognize if we're deliberating that it's time to stop, make a decision and move forward, hmm. whatever the outcome. It's been so helpful. Thank you. Mm -hmm. But Reducing decision fatigue by creating some structure around the things that I am responsible for that relate to others in my family has been incredibly helpful. For example, creating a menu. I can't stand having to improvise cooking. I'm not good at it. I was not raised as a chef. My, my wife was raised with like world-class cooks. 
from India and I suck. So <laughs> I had to come up with a menu so I don't have to make it up and feel incompetent every week. Right. <laughs> so that's been incredibly helpful. I don't have to think about what I'm cooking on Tuesday because it's Taco Tuesday. And I know when I go grocery shopping on Sunday, I need to get enough chicken and taco seasoning and cheese and olives and guacamole for Taco Tuesdays. Taco Tuesday. Let me guess what Wednesday is. It's got to be something <laughs> beginning with W. Um, uh, well, <laughs> Worcestershire Wednesday. <laughs> Sorry, the alliteration stops at Taco Tuesday and Takeout Thursday. <laughs> okay. Fish Friday? No? No, no, it's Pizza Friday. Oh, that doesn't see, work, though, John. There's the whole menu. <laughs> I know. There's the menu. I'm not thinking about it. I just know. And so if I get lost in a project, you know, just like any creative endeavor, you know, it takes, it's a whole brain, a whole body experience oftentimes when you're doing it well. Not unlike the process of play, right? You totally lose sense of time, of self. You're doing it just for the sake of the thing itself. And of course, it's easy to get lost. But I know that my daughter is going to be done with school around noon right. for a lunch break. And so part of me just kind of keeps track of that time and says, oh, it's about 1130. I'm at a place where I could break as much as I want to continue. I'm going to pause here and go prepare this meal. And if I get back to the project, great. And if I can't, that's okay too. So there's a little bit of acceptance too that this is a long-term process. This is not a, a sprint. This is a marathon. Right? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm in this for the long haul. Mm -hmm. This creative endeavor, this pivot is a lifelong quest. Right. So if I don't get to it today or this week, that's okay. I will get to it. What else are you... What are your biggest challenges with the pivot that you're in the middle of? What are the things that you most struggle with? <sighs> I'm so glad you asked, Rick, because I need some guidance here, my friend. Wow. Oh, so the biggest challenge for me in my life when it comes to professional and maybe personal obligations too is saying no. I have this real fear of saying no when I'm asked to do things. And lately, uh, in the last week, I have had three separate offers to teach in marriage and family therapy. One is to take on a clinical supervision group that meets every Friday morning, six students uh, at a university that I'm already a part of. I, I teach one class there. Um, another is to teach at my daughter's high school, uh, an early college or an AP psychology course that I've taught there before. Um, and then, and that's in the spring. And then another is to become part of this emerging university. This guy wants to create this university that it's evidence-based, well, practice-based evidence. Um, and you know, it, he wants me to be part of the, wow. the ground floor faculty. So th these aren't small opportunities. These are great opportunities that you're having to. Well, <laughs> great as in they, they're, they're, they're going to take all of my music writing time and energy. That's my biggest fear, right? Is that I created this 
situation or I'm in the situation that I'm fostering that allows me just enough time to have some space in the morning to write music, to practice guitar, um, to practice my social media campaigning and uh, you know all that stuff that goes along with entrepreneurship. These other things are going to whittle away at that. And I know that, I know, I feel it in my gut. <laughs> But how do I say no? So I said yes to the clinical supervision group because I thought, well, that's that's actually pretty easy to do. And I do enjoy that. That's fun. I like teaching people and giving them support as they're learning to be a clinician. Okay. And it's early enough in the morning, 5 to 7 a.m. my time where I can get up, get it done, and, and still have the rest of my day. Um, the teaching at my daughter's high school, I rationalize that as I started teaching there before she entered high school, knowing that she might be able to be in one of my classes and it would be an opportunity for me to, to just show her that I'm involved in her life and her world in some way. Um, and then uh, the other university gig, the Emerging University, I'm just, I don't know about that one. That feels like too much right now, as much as I wanna do it, because it's everything I believe in. Well, so what happens like, when you say no? I mean, I know the answer to this for me, what the fears are, but so what are your fears about if I say no, then? Oh, oh, oh shame on me. Um, you know, one was, one offer came to me via a recommendation from a colleague who is highly regarded in our field of, of marriage and family therapy. So it's sort of like, I don't know, maybe not quite Anthony Robbins, but somebody well known like that in the speaker self-help field saying, yes, I think Rick Lewis would be good for your, your thing. You and, you know, they call you and say, well, Anthony Robbins recommended you. You're like, right. how do I turn that down? <laughs> you know? So how do I turn that down and, and still is the process of being able to turn such things down a matter of defining for yourself how much the music matters for you? Like, is it, does it have to be big enough where our, our vision for what we want to do is big enough and strong enough that the other things may be tempting, but in the end, it doesn't win out over... I mean, it just occurs to me there's a lot of reasons why it's hard to say no. One is that our the thing that we want to move toward is not well-defined or well-delineated internally in us, and we don't have a big enough why to keep pursuing it. Another reason would be we're just, you know, social beings and we're afraid of of the consequences of some kind of rejection or ostracization that might occur if we say no to people who are in our world and have offered us something or mm -hmm. I think that's right. Both of those are, are spot on. I think, um, yeah, there is a, there is a sense of being ungrateful. If I say no, being ostracized or sort of on the, the naughty list. If I, if I say no, um, missing opportunities, sort of that FOMO, I, I'll, I'll fear that I'm missing out on this great opportunity at this right. university to be part of the ground up faculty or, uh, you know, whatever the, the gig might be. 
it's also just difficult because of, like you said, the the vision of being a musician. Now, I, I was a musician right? for several years. I did this as my job. I traveled the country back in my uh, early 20s. That's what I did. And it was it was a great lifestyle, but it was a very hard lifestyle. And I was very young and I didn't handle it very well, uh, which is why I had to leave it. Um, and I had to find sort of a, a real job uh, because I just wasn't focused enough or disciplined enough or mature enough to handle the business side and to really treat it like a career. I treated it like it was just all play, no work. Anyway, so here I am now and I, I boy, I have this established career in something that is considered legitimate and highly socially respected. Um, it, it's a clear path forward. Just, see clients, teach, supervise, do that until the day you die. But there's this other part of me that feels really important. And I'd like to say that it actually has the ability, the capacity to be really good too. Uh, in fact, I was, I was excited to share with you a song that I recorded. I mean, I recorded about three songs in the last week. And that's the other thing. Like all the work as a, I've done as a marriage and family therapist, I've talked about writing and doing all kinds of stuff. I've written a couple of things, but the level of productivity when I play music, it, it just, it's nothing. I mean, I should say the level of productivity as a marriage and family therapy pales in comparison to my level right. of productivity as a musician. I am prolific when it comes to writing songs and recording stuff compared to what I've generated as a marriage and family therapist. Yeah, it does. It sure does seem that, like that, that has I to mean, mean something. Instinctually, it means something to me. I I don't know how we'd clinically assess that, but but when you're doing something you love, prolificness seems to be a natural outcome of doing what you love. And when you love something, you do it a lot. And when you do something a lot, you get good at it. And if the world needs anything it needs people who are actually deeply competent and good if not have some mastery over what they're doing and it brings so much joy to me when i'm navigating my day mm. it could be just a technical support call with some software that i'm using but every once in a while you run into somebody who clearly enjoys what they're doing and they're competent, they're sharp, and they're super helpful. And it just makes my whole day when I run into people who are really good at what they're doing. And I think, you know, it's people who love what they're doing that wind up creating that kind of, you know, radiating that kind of mood to other people. Yeah, I agree. I Absolutely. I know that experience. I've had that before with people. I just also want to clarify that. So again, I was talking to my wife this morning about this and I said, I don't, when I talk about this and you said it in your podcast too, I think it was one of your first podcasts, the first one actually, that there are all kinds of messages, what I would call stinking thinking around this pivot. Like I'm not that good as a musician. There are people that are better. This isn't a real career. 
uh, it's too late in my life or, um, you know, that, that time has passed. Like all of those things that are absolute barriers to me, just going for it and doing it. Those are real things. And so even saying it out loud, I was telling my wife this morning, I said, but I'm not saying I'm a Mozart or, uh, you know, Eddie Van Halen, who recently passed away, you know, one of the top 100 guitar players in the world. I think I have some skill and I think I can write some pretty good music, but I'm not looking to be, I even had to say this to my mom, I'm not looking to be world famous or anything like that. I just want to pay my mortgage. That's all. I just want to pay the bills. <laughs> it's hard to say that out loud. It, well, I think it's hard to claim that I want to be a musician or that I am a musician or you know that kind of stuff because it feels so cliche. And especially at my age, 45, it can, I'm imagining <laughs> right. people saying this is just a you know, midlife crisis or, you know, or like, well, that's Eric Erickson's theory and there are kinds of issues with that. But this is so big. You are touching on all the things that get me so riled up about this topic, because I think the thing that gets left out and there's so little reference point for that's such a shame is when someone does what they love, it moves their energy in a way that begins to transform them and transforms other people around them. When you are really lit up by what your attention is on, it creates a whole physiological and even a spiritual kind of alignment where you are attentive, you're attuned, you're noticing more in your environment, you're relating with people in a different way, you're affecting them in a different way. And by moving toward that thing that feels resonant with my essence, I begin to inhabit something that affects me and my whole environment. And when I put that into the mix as an ingredient, when I'm that person who's lit up in my world, it completely changes what happens next. And I think we often think, oh, you may think, well, I can't move. I I don't think you're going to do this because I think you're on, you're well on the path of actually committing to this. But if someone like you were to go, no, I I can't do this. I can't be a musician. What you miss out on is that lighting up process that then opens doorways that you have no idea were even there for you. Like, Maybe you won't be a musician, but the process of you saying yes to being a musician is going to open whatever is is next in a way that's going to be at a whole octave. It's a whole octave leap. It's a whole another level of possibility that you're availing yourself of because you've opened your energy that way and people respond to that. People are going to feel it and someone is going to give you you know, I think maybe even the opportunities that you're getting right now, and a lot of people would argue with what I'm about to say, but I, I truly believe, because I had this happen many times, the, uni- the universe or reality or whatever we want to call it is a, has a subtle network of intelligence 
that operates outside of what we can track as cause and effect. And when we begin to move in certain ways and connect with ourselves more authentically and more deeply, it sends out a signal. I have no idea how, you know, that occurs. You know, maybe it's pheromones or something. I don't know, but something happens. And then what starts coming back are opportunities, possibilities, relationships that just seem like they're coming out of the blue. But it's interesting that you're saying I'm getting now, you know, I'm getting these opportunities coming to me suddenly right on the heels of committing to being a musician. Yeah, there are so many ways that nature uh, supports that idea that there are things that we can't see, which doesn't mean they're not there. It just means that we don't have the right tools to be able to see them that over the years we've learned about, for example, trees share nutrients when trees are in groves together. And we didn't really understand that until recently where we could get small enough to see these little hairs on the roots and that these little creatures wow. actually go from tree to tree <laughs> transporting nutrients. Like we had no idea that how that was working. <laughs> right. So there are definitely things that are connecting right. all of us energetically that we just can't fully get right now. But I, I agree. It's no coincidence that these things are coming to me. In fact, it reminds me of conversations my daughter and I have been having over the last couple of months since I really did commit to this musician path again. She's on her of her own volition. I did not prompt this. She said, Dad, I noticed that a lot of the girls are treating you differently when we go out, like cashiers. Now, I've got, for those of you that this is a podcast, I used to have long hair and, you know, kind of a, I guess, good looking guy. <laughs> Lately, since COVID, March 19th, I just let it go. Like I cut my hair, growing this huge beard. I mean, I look like a mountain man. Some say even a homeless bum sometimes. At least that's what my wife says, but she hates the beard. Interesting. But my daughter has noted that women are treating me right. differently. She's They're like flirting with you, dad. What's going on with yeah. that? And I think it might have something to do with like, there's this energy that I feel for myself when as a musician, right. I've always had this sense oh, of, I man. just can walk a little taller. Wow. Because I have this thing in me that feels that, so that congruent. Alone, what you're just sharing there, this idea of yeah. like we can't, you can't make that go away, that there are things, and I think this is true for every human being, there are things that are in our attention that we feel compelled to move toward and that when you move toward them, you are lining in a way that makes you sit up straighter and your gaze is raised and you're you're meeting things as a different person that people feel and you just can't you can't undo that as a human being yeah. you can't make it go away that there are things that your body mind spirit complex wants you to attend to and that if you don't if you push them away and you ignore them Mm -hmm. then in some ways you're you're going to suffer the effects of that absolutely absolutely i have a, a mentor of mine a clinical mentor whose brother is a very accomplished musician uh, but he's also a biologist and uh he years ago told me about my mentor told me 
about his brother not playing music anymore and the correlative weight gain that occurred. And when his brother started playing music again, he started to lose weight. And I noticed that even for myself, I just feel healthier. I don't even have to work out as much when I'm playing music more. I just naturally seem to be healthier. The Do What You Love weight loss program. We have to market this right away. The two. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, we could. Thing. This is fabulous. We could go on and on and on, and I don't want to uh, belabor our the attention of my my brand new podcast uh, listeners. Um, and the permission they've they're giving me to Absolutely. to enter their heads for a period of time each day but and i'm so glad to be able to introduce you to these listeners because you and i talk all the time and i i love our conversations i so enjoy getting to explore these things with you and so thanks for letting me spring this on you and for just jumping yeah. in and being willing to be a player speaking of music and uh, and thank you so much. It's just, it's just been so much fun. And I think we'll probably do it again. Thank you so much, Rick. Yeah, I always love our conversations too. And, and thanks to the listeners uh, for sticking around for this long. All right. So we'll sign off here. Um, this is episode end of episode six of Follow Through Formula podcast. Interview with John Souza, my good friend and soon to be millionaire worldwide known musician <laughs> follow me on instagram at the john sojourn it's uh or on facebook the john sojourn or you can go to Bandcamp or soundcloud and find my music the john sojourn s-o-j-o-u-r-n we got it we'll be there we're gonna watch you yeah, rise to stardom <laughs> Okay, signing yeah. off for today. Game on, everybody. If whatever you've got going, whatever you're sitting on or poised to put into motion, it doesn't have to be a big step. Anything, when you take action and take a move a little bit toward the thing that you can feel in your body is just wanting some attention, wanting a little traction, just take a small step. It's continuity of efforts over time that make the difference. So um, take the leap and we'll be able to do it together. All right, signing off for today. Hey, thanks for being here and being a die-hard listener down to the last decibel. My vision for these conversations is that you get informed and inspired to take consistent action on the real you. If these podcasts help you to do that, I'm thrilled. And if you'd like to take that work to the next level, I invite you to join me inside the Life Leap community, where I'm creating a culture and a support network for those who want to pursue what matters most in their lives. To learn more, just go to gamesforconfidence.com and click on the Life Leap menu item. I'd love to see you on the inside, and otherwise, I'm sure we'll meet again in another episode.